Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. We are without my usual producer, Kevin Black, for this episode, our very first episode all together, and we're missing one of the most important ingredients to the podcast puzzle. That would be Kevin Black, but nevertheless, I'm joined by my brand new team for this upcoming 2023 NBA draft cycle. I'm excited. We're finally here. Guys, we've been talking about this for weeks. I've been teasing it on the podcast for weeks that Maxwell Baumbach, as well as Stephen Gillespie, well, Stephen would be coming back, but Maxwell would be joining me as a lead co-host for this season. And obviously, Stephen's along for the rides, Draft Deeper. We can't have Draft Deeper without our good friend Stephen Gillespie, but more of the No Ceilings team is coming together on this podcast feed, and I'm really excited because I've done plenty of podcasts with Maxwell. I obviously got to work with Steven during the second half of last year. We all have excellent chemistry with one another. We all do our homework. We love doing the deep dives, the the sicko prospects, the, the, the deep draft cuts. That's what we're all here for, and I think that's why we're going to make an incredible three-man team. We've already been dubbed the big three on Twitter by Hunter Cruz. <laughs> shout, shout out, Hunter. You do amazing work in the draft of the WNBA space. Thank you for the name. But mm-hmm. we we are the big three, and I, I, I truly feel like that. I'm, I'm so excited to kick this off. What better way to kick off the 2023 draft cycle, the preseason cycle, I should say, by talking about some of the top incoming freshmen in the 2023 NBA class? We, we got... We got massive names on this podcast, but even more massive names. I already shared Maxwell and Steven. I got to give you guys the intro first. Maxwell, I'll start with you, man. What, what's going on? How you doing? You you ready for tonight in the season in whole? I am doing great. I am so fired up for this upcoming draft cycle. This is the most work I've ever put in as far as like a preseason process goes, just before the draft cycle even begins, diving into uh, grassroots film, high school film. I'm really excited. A lot of these guys are super interesting. I think we're going to have some interesting perspectives and some different opinions than you might be seeing and hearing a lot of places on these guys. And I, I'm just, I cannot wait for basketball to get here. It, the season can't start soon enough. I, I have no doubt that Steven, who I'll kick it to next, will say something tonight that will agitate me about, about one of these prospects. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding, Steven. I'm, I'm just picking on you. But what's going on, man? It, it's, it's great to see you. I mean, obviously, you and I have been chatting back and forth, but since you've really been back on the basketball front, it's good to see your face on a podcast, sir. How are you doing? Man, Nathan, I feel so good to be here. You know, I I miss the summer league. I miss the draft. You know, like the thing that we talk about all year long and that we build up to, like I had to miss that actual event. So uh, I'm just, I'm thrilled and honored to be here. You know, um, I'm more than happy to be Chris Bosch in this new big three that we have going on right now. You know, I'll hit a corner three, I'll rebound, I'll play defense, I'll be a good switchable big, whatever the case, whatever's needed for the team, you know, I'm going to be there. But uh, man, I'm just, I'm so excited. We got a fun list of freshmen that we're going to be talking about. And I'm just interested to see like which way this goes because Nathan Maxwell, I'm sure you guys will agree. One thing that I think is going to separate us apart is like a new dynamic big three in the in the draft space is that we don't always see eye to eye right like some things that or something that i noticed is like a lot of shows that like have co-hosts and stuff like that they almost have like a marriage mindset where it's like they both like the same guy they both dislike the same guy and they share a lot of this like liked opinions and stuff which is fine i'm just interested and i'm excited to be 
kind of entering a new space for us where like we can have that intelligible conversation on where we differ with some of these prospects and we can kind of have that shared, you know, um, dialogue between the three of us. No, I agree 100%. We, we all share different opinions on certain players. We, we all come together at great points. I think we see the game through clear lenses when it comes to mm-hmm. all three of us, but in terms of the outcome and, and, our process and what we actually weigh when evaluating prospects. It definitely does differ between the three of us, but in having three different viewpoints and perspectives on one podcast feed, that's just going to let our audience get so much smarter during the course of the episode and after when they get to reflect on it. Right. So I'm excited. We're here. We made it. We've all had different things that we've done during the off season. I know Maxwell has been slinging out content. Over mm-hmm. at No Ceilings with the No Stone Unturned series, he's been talking to um, assistant coaches in college basketball. He's he's been evaluating a bunch of different prospects. Steven's been doing some preview pieces as well as some deeper cuts or maybe some sleeper prospects that we're going to be studying this upcoming year. And I took some time to really sit back and focus on what are some of the rookies going to look like in this upcoming NBA season? That's something I want to do more on this podcast feed. I want to talk about the young guys in the NBA. I want to talk about the rookies. I want to be able to bring up trends that are going on in the NBA because that's all important, right? To, to be better scouts. When we're talking about evaluating prospects at the college level, we need to know what's going on at the level ahead of us, right? We need to know mm-hmm. what's happening in the NBA. So that's going to be a focus for me as well. But the other thing I've done is I've also reflected on some of my process, right? And I've reflected on where I got things right, where I got things wrong, and what are some of the lessons and tips that I can carry over into this upcoming draft cycle. And I'll be sharing more of those by position group over the coming weeks on NoSillingsNBA.com. So that will be my my substitute column over the next few weeks while we get ready to ramp up into the season. And I fully bring the morning dunk back, but make sure... You're following us at No Ceilings NBA on Twitter. Subscribe to the Substack, NoCeilingsNBA.com. All three of us, as well as everybody else on the team, we're all mm-hmm. still pumping out content in the offseason. It's not as regular. We're doing about two to three pieces per week till we really kick things off the end of October here. But make sure you're checking out all of our content. I promise we're going to get you in a great place to warm up to this upcoming college season. And if you read all of our content, get yourself, get your mind ready as a scout. I promise you're going to be good to go. And we're going to have a ton of fun this upcoming draft cycle over at no ceiling. So let's go without, without further ado, guys, let's kick it off. Let's do this. So I have 11 prospects here that we've all kind of discussed to talk about tonight in the top freshman. I call this part one, right? We're going to be doing three different podcast episodes (laughs) on incoming freshmen because we don't know how to cut down on a list, guys. We we love so many of these prospects already. Mm-hmm. We don't want to leave anybody out. So we have to split this across three different podcast episodes, but we got to kick it off with a bang. We got to talk about the big names first. So mm-hmm. we'll go guards, wings, forwards, and a few bigs at the very end. I, I'm excited to talk about the bigs at yeah, the end. But I am too. Let's kick it off with a name, Nick Smith. Going to Arkansas, six foot five, one hundred eighty-five pound guard. Woo, woo, pig. That's right for Stephen, big Arkansas <laughs> guy. So, oh, don't Stephen. I'm going to you first on this. Oh, okay, okay. You worry. We're, gonna, right. we're gonna get there. But he attended North Little Rock uh, High School down in Arkansas, top-rated guard across the board, according to twenty-four-seven Sports Rivals and ESPN. 
2022 USA Today Boys Basketball Player of the Year, co-MVP of the Jordan Brand Classic. He also played in the Nike Hoop Summit and the McDonald's All-American Games. Two-time Max Preps Arkansas National Player of the Year. And it's a common theme. We're talking about some of the top guys. Obviously, I want to read the accolades and the accomplishments, but all of these guys are are accomplished prospects. But Mm -hmm. Nick Smith, nonetheless, he had a massive rise in, in what I feel to his recruiting stock during his senior campaign. And it got to the point where I just remember ESPN publishing a piece about him you know, Jonathan Gavoni and Mike Schmidt's going back and forth about is Nick Smith the number one overall incoming player in this mm. class? And could he challenge to be the number one overall pick in the 2023 NBA draft? And for anybody who's been following the storylines for 2023 so far, you might hear that and you think that's a little crazy. That's a little far-fetched. <laughs> I like Victor. I like Scoot. I don't want to talk about anybody else to the top other than those two guys. Is anybody going to, to really crash the party and challenge? But we talk about this every year. I know Rucker and I have gone back and forth about it on this podcast feed every single year. Someone always crashes the party. So really, it's our job, I think, over these next few weeks as we're previewing this incoming class to figure out who are going to be the guys that could possibly crash the party. And that's why, you know, we're going to talk about some of the international guys. We'll talk about the G League guys. We're we're saving those podcasts for closer to when the college season kicks off because we want the conversation around Victor and Scoot to definitely be prominent when that, that audience is fully tuning into the feed. But for the purpose that I just outlined, let's try and find that next guy. Let's try and find that third guy. So, Steven, I told you I would go to you first since you're the Arkansas man. And I'll I'll be kicking it to you. I'll be kicking it to Maxwell to lead off with some of these guys. And I, I'll kind of give my thoughts and I'll, I'll interweave some of my thoughts um, in with your evaluations. But I ask you the question to, to lead it off. Could Nick Smith be the challenger for the number one overall pick? Where, where are you at on Nick Smith? And we we haven't talked about any of these guys up front, so this is going to be really interesting to get into it. Yeah, this is what I'm looking forward to the most about this series is like not only is the audience going to be learning where we're at coming into the season, but we're sharing uh, together our, our thoughts and opinions really for the first time. So this mm-hmm. is going to be fun conversation. I mean, it's possible, Nathan, right? Like there's a lot to like about Nick Smith as an NBA guard one if you just watch tape you don't even look at the end result of the play that he's a part of he just moves like an NBA player right so you know just from watching him on the court that he has something special about him right and then you you look at some of these other freshmen that we're going to be talking about I won't spill names yet but unfortunately Based on my board, I don't have him within that crashing the 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 conversation of being a number one player but it's super early. And I know that we're going to say that a lot over the next few weeks, but I, I don't like him crashing that party as a number one player, but don't get it twisted. I love Nick Smith, right? Like he is definitely within that tier down of, of top prospects. And I think he has a really good chance of making an impact day one type of player um, when he does get drafted. And I think that, you know, his frame, his movement, his intelligence, you know, he he kind of fits what every NBA team wants in a guard. And I think that that's going to help him succeed no matter where he goes, even if it's not that number one pick. So, Maxwell, mm-hmm. feel free to give your thoughts on yeah. where you're at with Nick Smith as well. So I'll, I'm going to take umbrage with something Steven said. Steven said it's possible that he could get into that conversation for the top overall pick. 
Um, look, I've been spending a lot of time on draft Twitter lately and every prospect is either generational or they stink. So you, <laughs> you have to, you have to pick one. Uh, no, shout, uh, shout right. out to Corey Tulliba in the, in the no <laughs> yeah. group chat representing him well. Um, so, so I'm actually in a, in a similar position to Steven. So Nick Smith for me is at about five right now on my okay. very tentative board. Um, I have like some concerns that I'm yeah. a little bit leery of, but I think overall, uh, he does profile to be a great NBA guard. Um, mm-hmm. His arms are comically long. Like it looks like his, his fingers are going to be like brushing the floor when he runs up and down <laughs> the court. Like he's super, super long at six, four. I don't, he doesn't look very tall, um, but boy are his arms long. Uh, he has a very advanced scoring package. I feel for, on the perimeter for a player, yep. his age uh, knows how to get separation really slams on the brakes to get into a mm-hmm. pull-up, which is like, I, I think when people talk about creating space or you should talking about sidesteps and step backs, but just the way he pulls up so quickly uh, is something that's really, really good. Love his transition passing. He's got a great bag for like hit ahead moves and something like that off the catch. He's quick and clean, uh, mm-hmm. easy release. He finds cutters exceptionally well as a passer. There are times where it feels like he's got eyes in the back of his head. Uh, he can hit guys on that third level in the corner out of a pick and roll. It's just a very mature offensive game for now. And I, I think his, his shooting range is uh, he's going to hit threes from NBA uh, distance as a freshman in college. Um, so I, I'm just really impressed with him there. Uh, he's got a little bit of wiggle to him. My biggest concern is I don't know that he's like the burstiest athlete. And in yep. some of the like all-star type games he played in, I thought he struggled like at the rim. Um He's he's got a floater and I again like his his perimeter scoring package I'm I'm a really big fan of, uh, but he's re, he's real thin right now and we know that that's the thing with a lot of players yeah mm-hmm. their age they're not they're not physically mature yet, um, but I just don't love how I've seen him deal with contact and length around the rim and some of those games where he's on the court with a lot of other high level athletes uh, so I really want to see how he adapts to sort of timing and athleticism when he's going against that caliber of athlete. And playing in the SEC, we're going to get to see him do that. But to me, that's like the one thing that has me uh, not tentative about him, but I guess not willing to just be like, he's the guy. He's the one who's going to crash the party. That's the thing I need to see from him is just that finishing and rim pressure. So I, I do agree with you about the the strength aspect with his build. He does have a lanky build. I wrote that in my notes. I actually slightly disagree on the first step point. I think he actually mm-hmm. has one of the best first steps in this class at the guard position, but Maxwell, you, you might agree with my follow-up to that. And then if you want to add some color on this as well, I do want to see his development as far as taking the best angle. And I think that's where a lot of his game falls apart. Cause a note that I wrote previous to that was he can get a little overzealous with his shot selection. And that is something I want to monitor Arkansas, but I think it comes back to the approach he takes as far as the angles he takes a driving to the basket, right? He doesn't always take a clean angle. And then when he doesn't take the best angle, he gets in those high traffic situations to where he's two, three guys. And yeah, you can be a good passer. And I think he is a good passer. I also wrote down Maxwell. Mm -hmm. He has real passing chops as a guard, right? That's going to help him at the NBA level. But sometimes when you get in those high traffic situations, you kind of feel like you're, you're forced to try and go up with the ball and make something happen. And when he doesn't have that strength to bully or go through people, that's where a lot of it can fall short. I think he has the touch. I think he has legitimate touch and a good floater in the paint. I think obviously a lot of the shooting stuff is going to come around for him. I don't know if he's going to be 
a high level creator from three point range at an efficient rate very early on in his career. But I think it's something he'll eventually grow into. But that's that's the biggest thing that I want to see from him as far as his development. Because you look at everything else, you you mentioned the size for a point guard, the length for a point guard. Um, I like the first step. I really like his athleticism. The biggest things that I've been coming back to for guards are you either need to have that plus positional size or you need to have that outlier killer speed and acceleration, Steven. And that's that's kind of what I come back to with Nick Smith is he could be one of those big challenges of the guard spot because he kind of has a, a, a good marriage of both of those things. We We don't have to worry about one or the other. He has a good mix of both. So I think that bodes well in his favor, and that's why I would consider Nick Smith to be one of these guys who could challenge near the top. I'm kind of with you guys. I don't have him there yet. Well, first mm-hmm. of all, I don't have a big boy. You you guys are crazy for, for having a big boy right now. We're it, a little nuts, though. We are recording this mm-hmm. on September 19th. <laughs> I, I promise I will have a board done for the preseason when we want to publish that content for no ceilings. But a board that I feel good about. Oh yeah, I, I don't feel good about it at all. I just that, that that won't be out till like December. So I have everybody yeah. out there who's making all these crazy big boards. We got to start somewhere though. You gotta yeah, have a reference point to go mm-hmm. off of, right? Let's let's talk about these prospects and get some good thoughts out there so that we have time to to properly digest all of those thoughts and really sit back and think about them before we say all of this crazy crap like, oh, he's number one on my board, <laughs> and then two weeks later. He's like number 14 on my board. So let's <laughs> let's let's calm calm down with the preseason hot takes. That that's that's all I mean when I say mm-hmm. I, I don't have a big board yet. But so so Nathan, uh to bring this back to Nick Smith Jr. and Maxwell, obviously <laughs> you too, right? Um I, I agree on a lot of the points on the offensive end. I think that he's just smooth, right? Like he is a smooth mm-hmm. navigator Very on the offensive operator. end. Here's my issues on the defensive end and you know, this is a very touchy subject this early uh, in the conversation because we haven't seen him play at a high level of competition other than just like high school basketball and some EYBL stuff. I think that he has like the tenacity to want to be a good defender, right? Like he he's not like one of these guys that wants to take plays off. With that being said, I don't love his pick and roll defense film from what I've seen so far. Like if someone's wanting to take him off the dribble one-on-one, I think that he can do that, right? Where I see him struggling and having to adjust a lot throughout the season, a lot of these young guards in college are going to, is how he picks angles, Nathan, like you were saying on the offensive end, but defensively, how is he going to do that? Like, how is he going to know when to hedge? How is he going to know when to step up and try to apply pressure or when to just slip around the screen? Like, how is he going to figure out that dynamic of the defensive side of the ball? Which Luckily, he's surrounded by some other dogs at Arkansas, right? I'm just curious on how he works on that end moving forward as he approaches, you know, that NBA level status. Well, that that's going to be a communication thing as well mm-hmm. with his teammates, right? Calling out screens, making sure that he's aware of what's going on up top. If he needs to, to go under, go over, some of that's going to be KYP, know your personnel. Did he actually mm-hmm. study the matchup? Does he know, you know, does he need to go over, under, dictated by the matchup? And then the body things that we've talked about. He's a lanky guard, right? We yep. we saw this with Jay Nivey, you know, in two years at Purdue. That was one of my bigger takeaways for him on the defensive end. It's not that he can't play defense. It's not that he doesn't want to play defense. He even had the length and the speed, which yep. Nick Smith has some of it. Not not the same exact speed that Jay Nivey has, but he has some of that speed-length combination to where if he gets beat, 
he can recover and he can still challenge a shot, get his hand on something, but he's going to be slammed shut on a lot of screens if he has the blinders on, right? So that yeah. that is something that we're going to have to monitor from him defensively up top. I don't overly criticize guys on the defensive end, incoming freshmen in the preseason process, because a lot of these guys, they they I don't want to say they don't know how to play defense, but they haven't been coached to play defense yeah, against guys mm-hmm. at the next level. So it's going to be an adjustment period. And then when these young guys get in the NBA, that's a whole different adjustment period. And then a lot of these lottery picks are usually playing with poorer NBA talent. Mm-hmm. who are also young in their own right and still trying to adjust to, to the lifestyle and the game and everything else. So they all have to come up together and figure it out defensively. And just that a lot of young player defense is generally just a mess. And I think it's more important to call out when it's really good. I think that's a very important thing to call out. But when there are some poor things, I try not to, to put too much stock into yeah. it. But because of the points that I outlined and because of what you brought up, Stephen, we are going to have to monitor that with Nick Smith as we go on throughout the year um, is obviously what he does on the defensive side of the ball. But offense, I think we're all in agreement. Plenty, ex- plenty of exciting tools to work with there. Definitely going to be a player to monitor at Arkansas. A guard who I think more of us at No Ceilings are excited about than Nick Smith is Keontae George going to Baylor. Man, the, the group chat has been buzzing about Mr. George and – I have a few concerns, but I think overall, I like a lot of what we would see here from him. So 6'4", 185-pound guard going to Baylor, number three player overall in ESPN's 2022 rankings, McDonald's All-American, averaged 17.8 points per game and shot 41% from three in his senior season at IMG, MVP of the 2021 3x3 U18 World Cup for Team USA. Um this summer for Baylor, they competed in the Global Jam Championship, and he got them all the way to that championship game in July. He averaged 23 points per game in that stretch and even had a 37-point game against the Canada team in the semis. So that's a real standout performance, summer film that we can actually dive into. It's not just the high school stuff that we got to take away some good notes on. I think he has really 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 awesome scoring tools he's a legitimate three level scorer he's comfortable hunting for his own shot anywhere on the floor pull up threat from three he can make them at a high clip create separation on his shots by i I love how he lulls his man to sleep and then he hits him with the crossover step back keeps his balance off the hop consistent shot mechanics on the gather release follow through so he's got the shot creation package he's got the movement shooting package he can hit in the mid-range create those shots from three-point range He's a more of a shooter than a scorer, but I think there are some other scoring tools that he'll be able to work with in time because of his frame. Maxwell, what 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 is your evaluation on Keontae George right now? Did you disagree with anything I said? What what else no. do you want to add about his prospects? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that jumped out to me about him on film is obviously he's got this reputation as a great shooter. Um, and he is a spectacular shot maker from behind yep. the three-point line. Um, the other thing that really jumped out to me, I knew the three point stuff going in before I watched a second of this film, um, is how sturdy and strong this dude's body is. This Mm -hmm. man is built like a running back. Um, and it really pays off on defense. I will run into the ground. The point that being physically strong is such an underrated tool on the defensive Mm -hmm. end, especially on the perimeter. It makes it so much harder for guys to get into their spots when you have somebody who's just big, heavy, 
burly and has good enough feet to slide in front of you and you just cannot push through them. And I, I know you I know you can tell on film, like you you look at Keontae George, a lot of where your eyes are gonna be around his upper body. Mm-hmm. He's got a good base though. I think his yep. base, his legs is the best thing, Maxwell, that you're talking about for, mm-hmm. for all the reasons you're about to outline. Yeah, and it just makes it so difficult for guys to get anywhere against him. Yep. Um, so he can he just at the point of attack is a really good defender. Off the off the ball, his instincts are solid uh, and everything like that. But I just really love him as sort of a menace at the point of attack on defense. Um, I was a little surprised by his pick and roll passing and things like that. I was again, I just knew him as a shooter, so I was going to the film with the impression that like eh, maybe he's like this undersized shooting guard. And then I was like, oh wow, he's playing really good defense. And then when I saw him in some pick and rolls, like there were some impressive passes. It wasn't Mm -hmm. um, anything crazy. Like, Oh wow. That was his fourth option on a read or anything like that. But the ability to deliver the ball accurately split seams and things like that, find cutters. It's good. It's, it's good passing uh, for, for a player at his level. Um, My concerns come with finishing and traffic. He's because he's so strong. He finishes through contact pretty well, Um, but he's not really above the rim in the half court. Yep. Um, he's not going to really soar and get up there and throw down a dunk on a guy. Um, so that's kind of going to be the interesting part for me is like with his strength and his handle, I think he should be able to get to the basket. I'm just not sure how meaningful his rim pressure is going to be as a finisher at this stage. I think the touch is really good. So it gives me a lot of optimism and again, the strength. Um, but that's like the one sort of reservation I have with him as an offensive player. He doesn't have the blow by speed either. No, right? he's like, not like super you, fast. You, like somebody can recover to help. And then if he's meeting a big man at the rim as well, then you're talking about at least two defenders in, a, in his vicinity. I agree, Maxwell. That makes it harder for him to finish. But in getting there, Stephen, I'm, I'm glad that Maxwell brought this up. I'll kick this over to you. The other thing that I would really want to highlight about him is he has some real craft with his dribble moves, man. That guy changes gears. He has a great command over his hand, uh, over his handle to get defenders off balance, even though he doesn't have that same explosive ability as some other guards do, like I just highlighted. But that 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 changing gears, that ability to go right to left, left to right on command through the legs, step back, like those are the things where if you don't have that speed, but yet you have more of that dribble craft, that's how scorers like CJ McCollum really make their money in the NBA. And that that's one of the names that that I'm reminded of when I watch. Keontae George I think he can be that level of shot taker and shot maker what are some of the positives and negatives you want to throw out about Keontae George's game Stephen well and I'm I'm glad that it didn't take very long for me to uh, kind of back up what I put out earlier in the show like fellas I, I think that he can finish right and although he isn't I don't I want to be careful with how I phrase this I don't think that he's got the same level of pop but I do think that he is a good athlete um, comparatively to like Nick Smith Jr., right? Like, Nathan, you said that you're a big believer in his first step. I I like a lot about Keontae George's like dribble craft, like how you said. There's guys that succeed in the NBA without having that like super yep. deadly first step. Or like I'm remind you said CJ McCollum. He reminds me a lot actually of guys like SGA or Tyrese Halliburton. You know, like how they have what I affectionately refer to as old man game where like everybody just kind of moves around them and they're locked in in their zone and they're they're effective at picking their angles. I actually like Keontae George's prospects at being able to attack and finish at the rim because of that strength, Maxwell, and that base, Nathan, that you two were just, you know, referring to. 
on top of the fact that this dude is just electric and so much fun to watch operate around the perimeter. He is just, he is so fun to watch operating out in open space. I do like his ability to play make. I think Nathan, that you're talking about a guy who can crash the number one conversation. I'm reminded of, you know, the article that I put out earlier on like last month where I was looking at player types that succeed the most in, in the NBA. And one was like a total package score. I look at Keontae George potentially as a total package score. There's just, this is a deeper class than what we've seen the, you know, the previous couple of cycles, at least right now, there's a few guys that I just believe in a little bit more, but Keontae's right in in that same conversation with them. I think that this is the type of player that you could look at at crashing that number one pick conversation. I do want to see more from him on the finishing front. As we've talked about, I want to see him be able to get to the line, create that contact, and then ultimately get something out of it. If he's not able to make the shot, at least draw the contact, get to the line. Um, I do want to see more from him on the defensive side of the ball. He has really good activity as far as going for steals, right? He's very eager to play those passing lanes. But then we get into the, the gambling man situation that we've ever so talked about on this podcast feed and others. So. Mm. I want to see a better balance of him offensively, defensively with some of those things that I talked about. And those, those are the separators for me. Like, does he have that ability, that upside to get to that level that Steven's alluding to as this complete package score that NBA teams value, who, you know, that guy's going to be in the starting lineup night in, night out. Or does he not develop in some of those other areas? He falls short. Then maybe he slides into like the, the Malik Monk type of territory that, that's what I want to see this upcoming college season. Did, did I just did, did I offend you a little bit, Stephen? I'm I'm sorry. You, you didn't offend me. I'm just like I'm thinking about how smart this dude is already, and he hasn't even touched the college court because I know I think that he can be good defensively, and we were talking about different reasons why. But how smart of a choice was it for him to go to Baylor Maxwell? Oh, like, to, Oh yeah. If, if you want to see him lock in defensively and you want mm-hmm. to see him develop in a team dynamic offensively, like how good of a, how good of a choice was going to Baylor? It's a great choice. But the, the, the thing with Baylor is they're going to have like 37 capable ones and twos on yeah. that roster. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting to see what the minute distribution looks like, what kind of lineups they trot out. But that's a team I'm just so excited to watch this season. Well, speaking of defense, if that's where we want to go, trust me, we're, we're, <laughs> we're going there right now with Case and Wallace going to Kentucky, six foot four guard, seventh overall player by rivals, eighth ranked eighth overall in that class by 24 seven sports and 20th overall by ESPN and their rankings averaged nearly 20 points per game, seven rebounds and six assists during his senior season at Richardson High School, 2022 Texas Gatorade Player of the Year and Dallas Morning News is Player of the Year, McDonald's All-American. Jordan Brand classic selection. We got to see some of it. Obviously, when you watch some of his exhibition games, you see Casey Wallace's um, effort level, his toughness, his tenacity. But then you flip on Maxwell at the Bahamas games. This guy, this guy literally wanted to kill somebody on the court. Like I, I was a little frightened <laughs> when, when, when I watched those games uh, with Casey and Wanda literally in, in more exhibition style games, guard somebody 94 feet. Yep. He who, loves it. Who the hell does that in an exhibition game? Like that, that immediately gets me excited for his prospects. And then you actually go back and study some of what he showed in high school. Like, I don't understand Maxwell how he ended up like 20th overall in ESPN's income class rankings. Cause this yeah. guy has there, there's more offensive tools 
that, that he has as well. He has, I, I wouldn't say he's going to be like a, like a, I'm going to create 10 shots a game for myself type mm-hmm. of shooter, but like he can make open three point shots. Yeah. Yeah. Get yeah. to the rim, man. This guy's on a pogo stick, by the way, when he gets to the rim, he wants to go over people, mm-hmm. not through people. He can get downhill in a third in a, in a hurry. I really like what this guy brings to the table from a scoring perspective. I mean, I didn't even touch on any passing stuff. Like, Mm-hmm. You can already build the foundation. He might be one of the better three and D guard prospects that we have coming in. Period. So, mm-hmm. what 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 were your thoughts when when I read off some of where he's ranked in in the class rankings, particularly ESPN's rankings? And like, what what are your thoughts about Case and Boss going in? Because I, I think everybody yeah. here likes him. Yeah, I agree. I th- I think he's a little low. Um, he's he's just a dog, man. Like he just plays so hard. He he's gonna guard you the whole length of the court. Um, and I want to give a quick shout out too to his high school teammate, Ryland Griffin, another guy that just really exciting on the film. He's going to Alabama and they're loaded at the guard mm-hmm. spots and he's sort of a shooting guard type guy. So I don't know how much he's going to play, but similar, similar player in terms of just crazy defensive acumen more. So it was like run, jump chaos defense, whereas case in Wallace, I think is a little more disciplined. It only um, took us three players for Maxwell to give us a deep cut. I know. I know. I'm there. sorry. I did. Had to get the wrong <laughs> credit. Uh, but yeah, so Kaysen is, yeah, like you said, there's some more to his offense too. Like he's really comfortable passing with one hand, at least with his dominant hand. Um, he knows how to be skinny around screens on defense. He plays great transition defense. He's active all the time on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, but yeah, offensively, like I said, like the passing is, is nice. It's legitimate guard level passing. Um, he's got a soft shot. He can hit it off the move. He can hit it from long range. Um, but he just does like other nasty stuff on offense. Like he's a willing screener for guys off the ball. Uh-huh. Like there's just a lot of stuff that you see in the film where it's like, this is different stuff, different stuff than you see from a lot of these. Is, highly it, rated is guards. it a like stretch to think here. that he might be the best rebounding guard that's coming in in the no, class? I no, I don't think that's a stretch at all. I think that's entirely possible. I think, I think Keontae might get there from a number standpoint, just because I think they're going to play a lot of smaller lineups and he's going to be really physical. Um, so I think that could be a possibility, but um, I, I think Kaysen should be in that mix for sure. Um, my kind of like hold up with him is like, you mentioned him getting downhill. I'm not like totally in on him is like a, a first step guy. I think when the defense is rotating, it's there. I don't know that I see him as like an isolation creator. Mm-hmm. No. Um, and I don't think that I'm sold on him as like a tough shot maker yet at this point. I think with his touch, it could be something that comes along. But there are other guys in this class, like I think both Nick Smith and Keontae George. If you said, hey, they have the ball and it's the end of the shot clock and they just need to do something. I'm much more in on those two than I am in Kaysen at this point. I think it's um, more so he's strong and guys can like bounce off of him when mm-hmm. he does get downhill. And then the other aspect of him finishing around the basket, why I would consider him a, a lob threat along the baseline or yeah. I mean, he he's a really good cutter in, in mm-hmm. my opinion too. So that's, that's going to help him, especially off the ball at Kentucky, because we know severe Wheeler is going to dominate the ball in case. And Wallace probably isn't going to dominate the ball. I, I do like some of the passing stuff and I'll kick this over to Steven too. I don't know if he's going to be one of those guys who I want him always making decisions at the college level because one of the notes i wrote down was he can make reads and get off passes but Mm -hmm. it takes him a bit to read and process the defense before letting it go he can hold on to the ball or get in a little trouble living off dribbling east west versus trying to make a quicker decision or operate north south more often maybe that plays into some of what maxwell was talking about maybe he doesn't have that burst to always get by people why he might live a little bit east west what 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 do you think about um his offensive prospects steven 
so offensively, this is like my biggest holdup. And it's crazy, like how striking some of the concerns that I have with Kaysen now remind me of some of the concerns that we had throughout the season last year with guy like by the name of Trevor Kills, right? For Kentucky, like both, they have a lot of similarities, right? Like both, I would probably look at as defenders first and foremost, like as strength of their game right now, right? Um, probably more comfortable having them off the ball and coming into the season last year, right? Like Trevor kills was looked at as like a sniper from outside, like was supposed to be a really good shooter. And if you looked at the, (laughs) their first game of the season last year, you would think that Trevor kills was going to live up to that expectation. Mm -hmm. I think that might be, you know, kind of, you know, pessimistically looking at this, that might be where (laughs) some people have some hangups with where they ranked them at last year or this year is from Trevor Kills last season. But offensively, I do like his shooting a lot. You know, a lot of the film that I that I watched, if he's got time to set up, he's going to knock down some really good shots. In Kentucky, we know you're going to get open looks from, from outside. Like, that's been a, a big focal point of their team. But this year, they got a lot of interior presence. So this is where I'm curious to see how Cason Wallace is going to insert himself offensively because there's not going to be a whole heck of a lot of spacing with guys like Toppin and with Shibwe coming back. So, and with Severe Wheeler having the ball so much, I don't He's going to be counted on the space for everybody. He's going to yeah, have to correct. knock down those catch-and-shoot shots, and he's going to have to live up to what I said to him about a cutter. Like, he's going to be in not even a secondary playmaking role. Like, he's going to be in an almost exclusively off-ball role, and yeah, he's going to have to make the most of it. And he's going to have to, right? Like, if you're looking at a spot-up shooter, especially translating to the NBA, we have to look at him as, like, a, a secondary side playmaker. And that's where I'm curious too with Kentucky spacing is, is he going to be able to throw those like lob passes with touch? Is he going to be able to whip the ball around to the open guy on the opposite side of the court? A lot of that's going to affect his NBA draft stock. And I have him as a top 10 player right now. I'm going to remain optimistic and I'm going to lean on what I've seen so far in high school film. But he's one of those players that I have like circling in red as like, okay, like please prove me right where I have you right now. But I'm remaining a little bit of, you know, like healthy, respectable, uh, skepticism right now i i, I think back end lottery if anybody is out there doing one mm-hmm. of these crazy preseason boards i think back end lottery is um definitely acceptable for somebody like case and Walsh. speaking of lottery we got to move into some of the wings that we're talking about tonight so those were some of the guards that we knocked out my favorite wing prospect in this incoming class this is one of my guys if you've been following me on Twitter at Draft Deeper, you know that I was tweeting about him months and months ago before his name really picked up steam. Now you're hearing people throw him up. When we talk about number one overall pick challengers, there are plenty of people out there who are saying, this is my number three guy. This is the guy who I think is going to give Victor and Scoot fits near the top of the draft. That would be Cam Whitmore going to Villanova, six foot seven, 232 pounds. 2022 Gatorade Maryland Boys Basketball Player of the Year, McDonald's All-American, Jordan Brand Classic Selection, Most Outstanding Player of the FIBA U18 America's Championship Gold Medal Team. He averaged 21.4 points per game and 10.6 rebounds as a senior for Archbishop Spalding in the Baltimore Catholic League. This guy. What 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 doesn't Cam Whitmore do? Obviously, well, well, there, there, there is one glaring hole potentially to his game, and, and we'll talk about that. But there are so many things that this guy does well. One of the best athletes at the wing position in this upcoming class. Crazy bounce off too. 
Powerful dunker with two hands. Excellent lob catcher given the bounce, as well as his hands. Loves getting out in transition. Can explode off one for the dunk over any defenders with a full head of steam. Slasher first, shooter second. But disciplined shot taker. And from the film that I watch, he doesn't really have the bad habits of forcing or settling for poor jumpers. Right? He would rather get downhill and find his man than force up bad shots away from the rim. Underrated passer on the move. I think he's got the touch and the velocity to get guys the ball in a hurry. Makes reads off of his first dribble, keeps his head up, and is aware of where defenders are sitting. Has some flashes of passing creativity off his first step and spin move to make defenders miss. And to put it simply, he can be a hound on the defensive side of the ball. He is built to guard one through four in the NBA, given his quickness, his feet, his overall physical makeup. His defensive ability will allow him to scale up in different matchups. So I... I went through a, a lot of positives, Stephen, and I want to focus on the positives for a second with Cam Whitmore. There's potentially one big negative. We'll, we'll get to it, but what are what are some of the things you like about Cam Whitmore, Stephen? How how high are you on him as a prospect as we head into the season? Well, I'm not trying to be controversial. I did have him number two up wow. until I, I think up until like two or three days ago. Whenever we just started getting this like onslaught of Victor Wimbenyama, and I had Victor three, I have him back up to everyone. Come at me with your pitchforks, your torches, whatever the case may be. I have healthy reservations for Victor, but he's back up to number two. So calm down, Scoot. Love you. Um, but Cam Whitmore, man, like the fact that I entertained him to be over Vic, like should tell you how talented this dude is, right? Like here, here are my notes. What I like. I like his shooting. I like that he's a strong finisher. He attacks the basket. He's a mobile scorer, which something that doesn't really get talked about a lot when you're looking at an NBA scorer is like, how good are you scoring off of the move, especially as a wing, right? Um, can drive with both hands. He's powerful. Um, one note that I have is like, I would, I wish he had a little bit more wiggle in his game as a wing, especially going to the NBA, because I really think that's going to Yep. I think that's going to impact his isolation ability. Um, but some of the improvement areas, areas, I think that he bites bites a little too early on pump fakes. I think he's a little bit reckless on his drives. And his shot load time seems just like a tad slow to me. And, and Nathan, you touched on the passing ability, like how I talked about with Keontae George, like how smart, like we don't know much about Villanova other than the brand that they've established over the past few years. Like there's obviously a coaching change now. But if that translate over at like an 85 to 80 percent level, like he's going to be learning a team style game with his tools and his you know God given talent. Oh my goodness! Like I I hope that people understand like how much you know I, I love him just from listening to this. I think that he can challenge for that number one spot. And if Villanova's ran properly like it has been the previous few years, he's going to be put in spots where he is going to be able to show off that like total package scoring ability. Maxwell, the most fun thing that could come from him playing at Villanova, we know how much they love getting guys in the post. That guy's going to have some real opportunities to flash oh, yeah. that footwork in the post, baby. And I, mm -hmm. I I can't wait to see the kind of damage he can do from that. Like I said, a lot to like about a scoring package, but I know Steven said he likes the jump shooting. I don't like the jump shooting. And I uh, think yeah. that is, that's going to be the clear swing skill for him the shots a little stiff anything off the bounce doesn't feel incredibly natural he tends to overthink it when he has too much time to get the shot up off the catch 
likely needs a few mechanical adjustments um, where I, I think he's got to bring the ball up from a better angle. I think the shoulders and the feet got to get squared up better. And he's got to work on holding his follow through. Those are just a few notes I noted about his yep. jump shot. But where are you at in the scoring package, Maxwell, particularly the, the shooting? Yeah, so I, I'm i with you on the shooting. I think a lot of your notes were, were really good. Um, and I agree with Steven on the load time, too. Um, I think one thing I'd be interested in seeing him tweak is a coach I talked to recently for a no stone and turn piece had mentioned that something they were working on with one of their players is coming into the shot off the catch with a little more bend in your knees. Yeah. So get it. Like you were just up, you catch it, you're ready and you're up so that you're, you're eliminating the dip and you're just getting the shot off quicker because you're catching it already in the bed. Um, that's a little fix. I think I'd be interested to see cam try to implement. Um, I think that, he can score really well everywhere else. I, I trust his touch. I think he's really good in the mid range. I love how he just bullies guys in the post. I loved <laughs> it when he gets the small on him. He just says, yeah, I'm just going to dominate. I, I think that that's part of why he's had this, this rise is he dominates the competition. And again, in the FIBA games, he wasn't playing the best level of competition. It didn't matter. He just went out there and he ate their lunch. And that's, that's what I want to see a guy do. I, I love it when I see a player just rip the other team's heart out. And that's what Cam did. But he dominated in those all-star games, too. He was the best player on the floor in the McDonald's game. He's he's just a cut above in terms of his athleticism, his scoring. Um, but the shot is is going to – he's going to need it because, like you said, he could be a little bit stiff. Uh, you know, Stephen noted he's got – he doesn't really have that wiggle. Um, so when he scales up in competition, he's facing guys that are better. I have some concerns about that. I think my other concern with him is his handle. Um, when he freewheels for a longer period of time, he tends yep. to lose the ball. Uh, that's, that's my kind of concern with him. The longer he's putting it on the floor, the worse I feel about it. Um, so I'd like to see that. I'd like to see the shot. I'm, I'm hoping that the fact that he shot it like well over 35% in the FIBA games, like I'm, I'm starting to think like it's just going to be there. And that that's something that he's aware of and he's putting in the work on it. And Villanova's done a great job with just taking guys that aren't good shooters and getting them better taking guys that are good shooters and getting them to an elite level, whether or not that's still going to be the case at Jay Wright. It's, it's a little scary. I wish I could, yeah. say it, but <laughs> knowing Kyle Neptune is from that coaching tree has that level of pedigree. I'm going to stay pretty optimistic about it. Um, but yeah, the shooting is kind of my hangout. Steven, I'm glad that Maxwell noted the handle because yeah. this, this would be my other, I don't want to say it's a big concern, but it's a slight concern. We've seen before these bigger wings who tend to absolutely dominate because they can be much more physical than their competition. And we sort of see some bad habits are developed from that. And we don't always see the same level of polish with the handle with that. Maxwell was talking about with his jump shooting. The, the shot preparation is probably how we'd best categorize what Maxwell mm -hmm. was talking about that improvement he should make. You, sometimes you don't always see those same, levels of polish and when you go up in levels of competition where you're consistently going up against guys who are your size or bigger that really proves itself to be a problem i i don't think cam's gonna have that same problem because i don't think it's pure brute force i do think his feet are better than some people would give him credit for that guy just knows how to move he knows how to spin mm -hmm. he'll do the drop step he, he can hit you with something in the post i think he's got enough creativity with his feet to avoid some of it but does that concern you if if there's not enough polish, you realize a little bit too much of the brute strength, what that could mean for him, at least early on in the NBA? I mean, I guess it 
it depends on what lens you're looking at him at. Like we're categorizing him right now collectively as a wing. I would typically look at this guy as like a forward, right? Like a guy who could probably give you some minutes on the perimeter as a three. But it, to me, I look at him more like an NBA four. And if you look at him operating as like an NBA four, I think that his handle is functional enough to succeed against like those types of players, right? Like your Harrison Barnes is your Tobias Harris's, you know, players mm-hmm. like that, right? And I think that when you look at him like that, instead of trying to peg him up against like your Lucas, your your Tatums and things like that, I think he becomes a little bit easier and more uh, palatable of a watch. Um, but yeah, his handle needs to be tightened up a little bit. But, you know, we could have said the same thing about Tari Eason last year. And you guys know how much I love me some Tari Eason. So I, I don't look at that as like a, a make or break with him. I think that he is functional enough right now. But I, you know, again, a lot of this comes down to just like this blind trust that I'm putting in like this new direction for, for Villanova now. And I'm just assuming that a lot of the success is going to, you know, seamlessly transfer over. And I think that they're going to do a good job of harnessing, you know, his weak areas and sharpening them up a little bit. Fair enough. Maybe, maybe we disagree slightly on positional classification with Mr. Whitmore, but I don't think we would agree with classifying Derek Whitehead as a wing. He's about as wingy as they get in this no. upcoming class. 6'6", 190 pounds. Number two overall player in the ESPN Top 100. Number one for rivals. He helped Montverde win the Geico High School Championship back during the 2020-21 season. He was the 2022 Gatorade Boys Basketball Player of the Year in Florida. Averaged 17 points per game, 5.1 rebounds, 2.4 assists through 23 games as a senior. And he was the 2022 Naismith High School Player of the Year, also at McDonald's. All-American. This guy has what I feel, we talked about Cam Whitmore. I do think Dariq Whitehead has the best scoring package of any freshman wing in the class. I mean, this guy explodes off one foot and skies over defenders, finishing with ferocious dunks, great coordination and body control, weaving through defenses, slithery around the basket in traffic, and can get that hang time to finish floaters and touch shots with ease and ambidextrous finisher as well, speeding the open court. With his long strides, can get to the rim in a hurry off one or two dribbles. One of the best pull-up shooting wings in the class. Consistent high release, straight up and down on the shot at all times, be it off the catch, off movement, or on a sidestep or step back. Plus length for a wing lets him get his shot off no problem against virtually any matchup. And the other thing he does on his drives in particular, I mentioned some of the, the slitheriness to him. We talk about playing angles. Um, being a little bit deceptive when it comes to going up against defenders, Maxwell, that that's something I think he does really well, much better than some of the other guards and wings that we've talked about so far in the podcast. This guy is going to get buckets. He's going to put up points in bunches and he's going to help Duke out tremendously on the offensive side of the ball. Where are you at Maxwell with Derek Whitehead? Yeah, he's he's like firmly top five on my board that I don't is not firm at all. Uh, but he's like he's <laughs> definitely in my top tier, like my second tier after Scoot and Victor for sure. Um, like you said, he can really score at every level. Um, really confident from from long range, and I think that's sort of the area where he grew the most over the last year or so. Was it was always you know he can finish. He's really good in the mid range. The three just seems to come along, and I, I feel like it has. Um, I, I really trust him from distance at this point. Uh, I really like his second and third step. I think he's a mm. guy that as he has a head of steam, it just, it's like a snowball rolling down a hill. Um, like you said, he can really get up to finish in the half court. Uh, yep. doesn't need to be transition. Doesn't need the full runway. 
he can just pop off of one and really get up and put some. He, he's going to put a few guys on posters. Yeah, he will for <laughs> sure. For sure. And I think that uh, something else I kind of like about his offensive game is he has like that craft. He has some footwork to set up his shots, but he also just has some nice brute stuff too. Like he has the Trevor mm-hmm. Keels to bring him up again, like the crate, the running back cradle move to get to the rim. Like he's got some just power stuff in there too. It's not all finesse. It's not, I'm just going to do pretty stuff and settle. Uh, and I think he does a pretty good job of uh, keeping his head up and looking off his passes from time to time too. It's not one of those things where he's a point forward or anything like that at this stage. Um, but there's, there's some real budding playmaking going on. Um, a big part of my concern with him is just on the defensive side right now. Um, he doesn't always work to recover. It's kind of inattentive and whatever, but that's, I guess, kind of the thing when you're the the lead scorer for for a big team. Uh, that's that's a common thing. It's not somebody I can really knock him for too much. Uh, and I do think he can get a little too carried away with trying to prove himself as a shot maker yep. at times. Uh, there were some like NIBC games where like the double would come and he'd still just take like a turnaround fadeaway over the double. And it's like, nah, you didn't you didn't really need to do that. Yeah, I'd like to see trust your teammates a little bit more in that setting, but there's there's still a lot to like. Those were some of the negatives I wrote down as well, Maxwell, um, especially on the on the defensive side of the ball. I wrote in particular, he doesn't have the greatest feet on defense. And he can get mm-hmm. caught on or off the ball because of that. The passing, see, you, you say you kind of like the passing. I know Coach it's, spins over the box of one. Yeah. He he had some good things to say about it as well. I, I don't see a ton of excellent vision and, and passing ability from Whitehead, but given his proficiency scoring and shooting, you got to assume that 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 that's just a part of his game. He hasn't quite focused on it a ton. And that's probably something that can eventually come around. Right. But it, it, he's an he's an OK passer is what I wrote down. I, I laid out some of the concerns. Uh, Steven Maxwell gave some of his concerns as far as Whitehead versus Whitmore. Mm. I know you you obviously are team Whitmore. I think I've kind of been. I don't know. I go back and do some of the study to to prep for this podcast and I come away liking Whitehead may, maybe a little bit more than, than Whitmore. I, I get that that um, Whitmore has the the defensive tools. He has the, the brute physical strike to him. I think he's going to be a better rebounder. Like there are definitely things that I don't think Whitehead's going to be able to overtake from him this year. But when we just think about we're in this so offense focused NBA where you got to be able to finish and score and shoot from all levels of the court at all times to be a consistent starter and one of the better options on offense in the NBA. Steven, I think Whitehead checks that box cleaner than, than Whitmore does. Where are you at between the two? Yeah. And again, Nathan, this is where you and I just kind of like have a philosophical difference or philosophical difference on how we're looking at these guys where I look as Whitmore is kind of like a, like a four, um, where you and I both agree that we would look at Whitehead as a as a like maybe a two three type player, I guess maybe in some lineups I would look at him as a four. And this is where I would bring up like his dribble patterns. I wish they were a little bit more expansive. It feels like he just kind of has like one or two like fundamental things that he kind of refers to a lot, and uh, it feels a lot of times kind of premeditated. And I feel like um, some teams are going to be able to pick pick on that a little bit. Um, as he comes into the season, I do like his interior finishing. I, I, I like his driving, you know, he, he feels a little bit ambidextrous. I don't have like a clean split number, but it feels like he respects his left side just as like 
I won't say just as much, but at, at a healthy rate compared to his right. Um, he's strong. He crashes the boards. Um, I like his shot potential. I don't like mm-hmm. his shot selection a lot, and Maxwell kind of covered that a lot already. Um, I think defensively, he can be kind of scary on defense when he's locked in. Like, And this is where you kind of have to re- – like this is an ongoing debate, right? Like how much can you really trust high school-level defense, especially from like a star-level player? Yeah, uh, You know, I'll listen to guys like Sam Vecini. They talk about sometimes defense is just looking at a guy's like physical tools and understanding like if he buys in, like he could be scary. And there have been several possessions, you know, like you again, this is like UIBL, like who's to say how much you put how much stock you put into that. But like in close game scenarios, like there were several possessions where I was like, OK, like he's locked in, like he gives a crap on defense. And I think if he buys into that side of the ball, he could be scary. And another thing offensively, if I'm if I'm looking at him as a wing player, I talked about his dribble. I just wish that he would know the next move sooner. Like some of the times it feels like he catches it and then he analyzes it as opposed to like as the action is happening away from him, like taking a read on the defense and like understanding before the ball touches his hands, like what should be open. And I think like that's going to be another big step in his game on the collegiate level when we look at him potentially as crashing the party as like a number one type player. I'm just curious in general to see what happens with Duke's defense this year with coach K out, John Shire. And I, I, I want to see what he does. Too big lineup. Game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just want to see Duke do, do a few things differently on the defensive side. Okay. Yeah. I, I think John mm-hmm. Shire can be that guy. I think he's going to be a great coach for them. Has a lot of positive energy. I, I, I think that team's going to be really good not just because they have a lot of top-level recruits, but because of his coaching and, and his guidance as well. I think John's ready for it. So let's move past one Duke guy. Let's let's come back to Stevens Pig, another Arkansas guy. We, we knew we were going to get here eventually. That's yep. why Steven has to be the guy to lead off with him. It would be Anthony Black, the Arkansas wing, six foot seven, 195 pounds, member of the USA UAT team for the FIBA Americans Championship. Played in the Nike Hoop Summit, Donald's All-American Game, and Iverson Classic. Consensus, top 20 player in the class of 2022. Next in line in the jumbo point guard mold, I guess would be mm-hmm. the, the best phrasing that I can use. Steven, tell the audience about Anthony Black since you're the Arkansas man. So Anthony Black is coming in in this loaded Arkansas class. Like It's very possible that Arkansas could have four or five top 100 prospects coming into this NBA draft cycle, like very, very possible. There's a couple guys, you know, Maxwell, I know you're high on like guys like Ricky council, you know, Trayvon uh, Brazil is going to be another player that some guys are looking at, hoping that he can kind of be like a hybrid kind of three, four level defender, maybe a spot up guy, but Arkansas is loaded this year. And what makes me excited about watching them is how Anthony Black kind of finds his footing as like potentially could be like the lead creator on this team. I know a lot of it. I know a lot of stock is going to be put into Nick Smith Jr. being an NBA level guard, but his finishing and off ball movement is just so crazy that I would not be surprised if, you know, the must bust looks at Anthony Black as like the setup guy. And I think that there's going to be a lot of NBA teams that look at Anthony Black and they say, all right, 6'7", 195. Whoa, that's a good pass read. Okay, he can handle a little bit. Like, can he be a jumbo point guard, Nathan, that you were just alluding to at the NBA? Because one thing we know about these tall, you know, setup guys in the NBA, 
is just having a height of eye advantage and being able to read the game covers up for a lot of sins, you know, elsewhere in your game. So I think that NBA teams are going to be looking very early on at Anthony Black as like, could this dude be like a lead playmaker? I think that's a tall ask in, in one year of college basketball. But I, I also wouldn't rule it out. Like, I'm going to be looking at Anthony Black as like, okay, can you be an NBA-level point guard? Max White, I take a look at his size, his ball handling ability, his passing ability, the fact that he's wired pass first, score second, yet he can definitely make enough shots within the flow of the offense. He doesn't have the prettiest jump shot, but it's certainly functional. He can even get to it off the bounce. He is an underrated athlete at his size. He can play out in transition, hit guys with the hit aheads. And he's a heady defender, right? Like yeah. he's willing to step out, guard mm-hmm. past half court. He's competitive, quick hands. He looks for steals, keeps his head on a swivel, reads the game really well. He's not the sexiest prospect that we're talking about tonight, just from an aesthetic standpoint. But you you look at all of the things he does do well at his size, with his length. It, I just wonder... I really can't see a way in which he's not going to be a top 10 pick in, in, in the draft. Like I, okay. I, I, I I'm, I'm right. serious. Like the, these, these types of players at this point, I, I know Chuck has said this a lot of times in Chuck and guards, but like these guys just don't seem to fail. They don't. And un, unless he has like a disastrous season at Arkansas or like he's, he's really buried and he, he can't really show much because he's not asked to do a lot. Like, if he has the opportunities and he makes the most of them in Arkansas, I really don't see how he's not going to be a top 10 pick. And that's, that's like a super early hot take, bold proclamation, but that that's just how I feel. Where, where are you at Maxwell and Anthony black? So I'm a little lower because okay. I do think there's a chance that this season could look very ugly for him. Okay. Um, and I, when I say that, I mean this season, I think that I'm still in on Anthony black, the basketball player long-term almost no matter what. Like you said, these guys just don't fail. Like think about like Delano Banton and Trenton Watford and some of these guys that like have found a place in the NBA and how much better of an athlete Anthony Black is than either of those guys. Like he's he's going to make it. Um, his defense, like you said, is outstanding. He can soar for blocks. Yep. He can really grab and go. And you mentioned the outlet passing. Like he is, I don't know if he's the best outlet passer. He's my favorite outlet passer <laughs> in this in this cycle, though. Like, this dude does some fun stuff after he grabs a rebound. I like how he knows how to cut off the ball, too. Like, he's not a floor spacer, but he knows how to play without the ball still. He doesn't need it to, to be able to succeed. Um, I'm, I'm not hearing where the case falls short for you, So buddy. here's where the you're, case you're falls short. You're saying a lot of positives, too. Here's where the case falls short. And a lot he of this is going to be, a lot of this is going to be out of his hands. He is not a shooter at all yet from the outside guys oh, are going to on. be able to go at all he shot like 16 percent from three on the in games available on instat he's like a 50 percent free throw shooter he took one three per game in the fiba games he's not super willing from the outside and this is where my concern comes in with arkansas i think nick smith will be a good three-point shooter at the college level i think ricky council should be a good three-point shooter but he regressed last season as a three-point shooter and he actually posted very bad numbers off the catch is a three-point shooter. Devontae Davis is a bad three-point shooter. I don't think Jordan Walsh is going to be a great three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. Jalen Graham is not a three-point shooter. Makai Mitchell is not a three-point shooter. Mikel Mitchell is not a three-point shooter. Trevon Brazil is not a three-point shooter. There is not going to be a lot of spacing on that court. 
And when guys are going under on him, he's going to be driving into a very clogged lane outside of maybe Ricky Council's man and definitely Nick Smith's man. So it's going to be tough for him to get up these shots in a lot of traffic. I buy the athleticism. I buy the passing. I do think he's going to succeed long-term as an NBA player, but I think there's a chance that this college season just doesn't look great for him on film. Mm. What's the percentage on those open uncontested looks when somebody goes underneath or they leave them alone in the corner? Like what, what's the percentage that you want to see him make from three to, to turn that case around? Honestly, like 33, like it doesn't need Dude, to be that's like, the number. It I doesn't so need so, to be so like if he's average, then, so I, I actually, I think he's going to be average. I think he's actually going to be close to an average three point shooter. The I shot doesn't look like the worst. And I know that's not a ringing endorsement either. Like I said, it's not, not the, the prettiest of jump shots, but it's functional. That's what yes, I wrote down in my notes. There's, there's something there that you, that a shooting coach can work with, you know? It's yeah. Not it's not like, like, it's not totally busted. Like, you don't got to burn it to the yeah. ground. No, it's not like I call it like an uncle shot when guys like it's like when you pass the ball to your uncle, like a family party, like brings the ball way behind his head. It's nothing crazy. Like it's yeah. it looks like a jump shot. It's not I'm like just, Cole Alvarez shooting a free throw. Or yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. Like I'm just not. I, I think it's going to take him some time. I, I think okay. that just based on what we've seen production wise from him as an outside shooter and a free throw shooter up until this point, I have a hard time imagining it just all coming together this summer. All but I'm saying is he's played, he's played at like big prep academies. He's played like under good coaches alongside good teammates. It, so does, I think it, does, it's, it, it doesn't have to all come together, right? Some team has no, to buy no, no, in no. on the potential. They want to draft him because they think it can eventually come together. Yeah. If he shows enough, and I think it will. If he shows enough in all those other areas and there's at least some level of promise in his shooting, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I just, I, I think and NBA teams are just going to talk themselves into him. I, I yeah, really do. I think the floor is high. Like, I do think he's going first round no matter what. Like I said, like based on those things. And like, look at the season Peyton Watson had and he was a first round pick. So like, that's a fact. I, I like, I, I don't think, I, I think people know how effective this type of player is. And I think they know that he's smart and athletic and knows how to play. Um, I just think there's a chance this season is ugly. And I think if this season is ugly, it makes it really hard to take a guy like that in the lottery. Put it this way. That's, I, the I, one, I that's like, like the 13. one place it could go wrong. Yeah. He's I, I, I trust I them on offense right more than Harrison Ingram. We'll, we'll, we'll put it that way. Oh, I think this guy's yeah. definitely locked in. Yeah. I, 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 I think he's a lot more skilled. He reads the game a lot better than somebody like a Peyton Watson. So that's why I see like the floor all of a sudden for me becomes like a top 20, top 25 guy. And then when you put the measurables together, when you can put some film together, hopefully where he is, you know, being the primary, the lead decision maker, and he's he's getting everybody open. He's giving them the hit aheads. He's able to make stuff happen at a pick and roll in the half court, and he's able to at least knock down enough jump shots when the defense leaves him alone or, or uncontested. Like then he goes from top twenty, top twenty five to all of a sudden he just he keeps escalating. I really hope Rucker brings back that that damn Benedict Matherin Price is right name for anthony black this year get get that little climber out hopefully at some point like december january i think he's gonna start rising up some people's boards this year's dyson daniels right yeah this year's dyson (laughs) daniels this year's tyrese halliburton this year's you know keep keep the name keep the names going i i don't want to throw josh giddy out there i think josh giddy was just a transcendent passer and that's just gonna prove to be the case but similar mold it's just name what whatever player in that mold from previous drafts and Anthony black's going to be the next guy in there. So we'll, we'll see how it looks. And, and Maxwell could absolutely be right. 
that team could be an absolute tire fire on the offensive end when it comes to shooting the basketball. And I don't know. Some they're of just going to be a heavy transition team. And Muss is like one of the most like player friendly coaches, which is why players want to go there because he's going to, he's going to instill confidence in even their weak areas. So transition heavy athletes, speed, mm-hmm verticality Mm -hmm. let's move into some of the forwards and we move into the guy who epitomizes the word athlete better than anybody else that i that we're talking about tonight in these more perimeter slash forward base categories there's a big man who i think might be the best athlete in this entire draft class and we'll we'll get to him later on but dylan mitchell going to texas six foot eight 205 pound forward mcdonald's all-american nike hoop summit at jordan blank jordan brand classic selection he was actually the MVP of the JBC with 18 points. Number five overall in the RSCI rankings. He was fourth in the 2022 class on rivals in ESPN. He averaged almost 12 points per game on nearly 70% shooting from the field in high school. Um, 33.3% from three and 60% from the free throw line. We'll, we'll talk about some of the shooting um, to go along with 7.7 rebounds and 1.2 assists as a senior at Montford. Freak, freak, freak athlete. Smooth coordinated, bouncy, doesn't matter if he's leaping off one or two. That's this man skies. He finishes over defenders. He can finish through guys a little bit. One of the better shot blockers at his size in the entire country. He's difficult to contain off the bounce. If he gets an open lane, forget about it. Like this guy, he lives around the basket and he makes the most of it around the basket. I don't care what level you're playing at. If you can make 70% of your shots, I'm, I'm going to buy you on some some sort of regard on offense. Um, I, I really love what this guy brings to the table on multiple different fronts. There are some bigger concerns, but let's start with the positives, Maxwell. Talk to me about your thoughts on, on Dylan Mitchell, where you're at with the Texas incoming frosh. Yeah, so I'm I'm a little bit lower on him. Um, but then at the same time, like you read those numbers, and I see like Jeremy Wu from SI who said like really good intel and some really good scoops over the last couple of years and like, Obviously, he's been in the field for a long time and knows what he's doing. Like, rank him number five in his mock draft. He's number five in RSCI. Um, he is a crazy athlete. Like, this dude can really fly. He is an outstanding rebounder. And I put my notes, just a putback king. If something comes off the glass on offense, and there is a way for him to get to it. He's going to sky up. He's going to get it. And he's going to put it back. He's unbelievable around the basket. He can grab and go a little bit. Like, I I don't really like his handle in the half court, but if he just gets a rebound off the glass and takes off in transition, he can be yep. down the floor, get an easy dunk. Um, and I think he has really good eyes to cut on people backdoor is something that also just kind of sit out to me. Is if his man is ball watching, he will he will find his path to the rim. Um, I do just have, and I want to say one last thing on the positive front. He played super high level competition in high school. Mm-hmm. So this isn't a case Going of Going to like, birds, no yeah, kickwalk, man. Like you play in the NIBC, like you're not it, this isn't a kid who is like slaying bums, playing at like a <laughs> tiny school in the middle of nowhere and just dunking on everybody all game. Like he was dunking on everybody all game, but he was doing it against really, really good players who were all playing at D1s and and a lot of them at high majors. So I, that is, I think, the big selling point. If you want to remain optimistic on him, is he played as high of a level of competition as you can up until this point, and he really was a dominant force. Um, but there's always a but. There's the there's a huge but, and it's his outside shot. I yep. I don't like the shot. I don't like him putting the ball on the ground. He mm-hmm. is a very tentative shooter. It seems like he doesn't even take jump shots a lot of the time. 
And if he's not going to be anything other than a finisher, I just worry what that looks like in the NBA at six, seven, what he doesn't have the passing or just the instincts or ball skills that uh, like some of these other big men that we're going to talk about later who have similar profiles otherwise have. Man, Maxwell, I feel like you've read exactly what was in my notes when, when you just gave, <laughs> gave the negative. So I put, I put he's an improving lefty shooter. He's shown flashes of some mid-range creativity and fades off quick catches in the post. Outside shot, however, is questionable at best. And film study says to me, Steven, he doesn't have the comfort yet to be a 30-plus percent three-point shooter in college. Like We talked about Anthony Black. If you're concerned about Anthony Black, <laughs> I don't know where I don't know where the the bingo card is going to hit for you on the the Dylan Mitchell mm-hmm. uh, three point percentage, but and, and just some of what Maxwell was talking about as well. I, I also wrote down you wall him off, and he doesn't have the passing creativity or vision to get the ball out quick, um, nor the touch on deep floaters or pull ups. So like you wall him off, he's really that's in a world it. of trouble yeah. uh, offensively. That, that that's it. So those are those are some big concerns on the offensive side of the ball, Stephen. I I will say. The high defensive activity uh, as a playmaker, that stuff is real. Like if this man is locked in and engaged on a game-to-game basis, he could be the next steal-slash-block percentage darling mm-hmm. in college basketball as a freshman. The foot speed, the length, verticality, activity level could allow him to become quite the Swiss Army knife defender at the next level. That would include the, the NBA. I think this guy has legitimate, legitimate tools, but the offense could – could hold him back just a tab. But Steven, my question for you, I wrote this down. Will Dylan Mitchell be what we thought Kendall Brown was going to be? I know oh, that, that, that's a little bit of a loaded question, but I th- this is where I think his evaluation's going. I think we're going to start off in a similar place to where Kendall Brown was. Whether he finishes where Kendall Brown did will remain to be seen, but that's that's where I think a lot of this is going in different regards. What do you think? And it's so funny, man. And like, as much as I was talking about earlier, like where our minds can kind of diverge, it's so funny that Maxwell, it felt like you were reading my improvement areas were shot consistency, handle passing and and just shooting overall. Like those were them and you covered them beautifully. And then Nathan, I promise like I was thinking like a lot of Kendall Brown vibes in this too. Um, but I will say I, I like him a little bit more at, you know, his frame, right? Like I think yeah, he's, he's built a little bit more mm-hmm. sturdy, right? Yep. Um, he, I like him as a help defender. He's scrappy. He's a, he's a total athlete. And Maxwell, you posed a great question. Like if the shot, the passing, the dribbling isn't there, what does he look like? Uh, one player that just kind of jumped to mind and people can pick this apart. They can agree, you know, all of it's welcome. There's a role for a player like this if he hits, right? Like, and he's built a little bit more stronger than this player, but a guy like Derek Jones Jr., right? Like a, a a nice athlete, a guy who understands like defensive rotations, his his athleticism will kind of make up for his lack of understanding truly at like an elite level until it like kind of catches up. And that's something that we've seen from Derek Jones Jr., like a, a player that has found a home in Chicago or Miami or Portland or wherever the case may be, because he is a total effort player. He's a locker room, you know, um, he's, he's a stalwart in the locker room. You know, he, he brings positive energy. He's going to be one of those guys that keeps people accountable. But again, you know, we're talking about a guy playing at Texas. Uh, I think that 
it's going to be hard, right? Like I have him 21st because there are a lot of people that are high on him in the film that I've seen. Like there is a world where he can succeed with the tools that sure. he has, but I'm remaining a little bit skeptical, right? Because right, right his now, offense is not there. Yeah, right now for me, there's too much of a mix between uh, Greg Brown and Kendall Brown. There, there's there's mm. t- too much of that for me to to want to be on board, be like, all right, this is going to work the third time around. This guy's going to go top 10 like that. Both that, of those just, dudes ended up like second round level talents yeah. for me when their seasons were done. Exactly. R- regardless of their athletic abilities, because Kendall Brown was no slouch athletically. Greg Brown was the best athlete in his class. And Dylan Mitchell looks like he could be one of the best athletes again in the class, if not the top. So just just the skill part of it, though, like like when you're not along the basketball a part level, of the six, seven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> When, it's when, the whole when, basketball part of the game that has me has me a little nervous. When you're not along to a certain point offensively, and then I, I made like the, the Kendall Brown comp a little bit. Like at least Kendall Brown had some of the live dribble passing where we'd look at the mm-hmm. film and we'd go, like, all right, that this when, when he gets the ball going off the move, when he's cutting along the baseline and he's able to redirect the ball, like those are at least some things where we can go. Maybe there's a little bit more creativity there than we thought, but when he he doesn't have that has the same shooting concerns as those other two guys. I don't know. Like he, to me, how he gets in the top 10 is he has to be special defensively. This guy has to be one of those defensive guys where you're looking at him and you're like, regardless of who you throw on him in the NBA, he's going to be able to hold down that matchup. And we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what it looks like at Texas. I, I, I don't know if I have that level of confidence in him. I, I like a lot of what I saw on film, but to get to that level because of the lack of offensive impact, I I don't know. Or or he has to quite literally jam down every single thing that he gets near the basket, and he has to be like a 70-plus percent shooter in college. And that's like, who gets the 70-plus percent in college? Like Zion? Like we're we mm-hmm. going to put this guy in the same conversation as Zion? It just got to be Zion Williams. <laughs> That's, that's but like, think about how much better Zion's like handle was in college. Yes. Like, even like going in, like exactly. his passing was like there were some really impressive passing flashes. Like I've never seen any of that out of Dylan Mitchell. Right. So the, the and even defensively, know. like he's he's a bit hand checky. I don't know if he's ever taken a charge in any of the films that I've seen. Like he doesn't seem like he's willing to be like you know what i'm not gonna try to like jump oh there's mr there's, arkansas yeah, yeah i was just gonna yeah. say there's mr Pig, Jalen williams i'm not trying to get him to be Jalen. i'm just saying like you don't have to like get up for everything like sometimes taking saying. a charge is the right move yeah yeah so a forward prospect who i'm much more excited about than, than dylan mitchell i think at all of us in those ceilings i mentioned our love for Keontae george was boiling over if that love is boiling over, then the Jairus Walker love, I, I, I don't even know what to call it at this point. The Houston forward, six foot eight, 235 pounds, number 10 in the ESPN top 100, number 14 in the SI 99, 11th on Rivals, as well as 24-7 Sports. McDonald's All-American, Nike Hoop Summit selectee, Naismith National High School All-American second team. He averaged 16.7 points per game, 8.2 rebounds, and four assists per game for IMG during his senior season. And those that, that stat line right there leads me to put in my notes one of the most complete players mm. in this draft class. One of the most complete players in this entire class. High-level interior finisher. Post-up game over either shoulder as well as fading away. Can face up and rise in the mid-range. He can knock down open shots from three. Powerful player around the basket. Drives through traffic. 
one of those forwards who will wear you down when you guard him. Love that about him. Tremendous footwork to free himself on post moves. He can go to the up and under, the spin-off drives. He was coordinated and balanced, yet incredibly powerful at the same time. He has a nose for the ball on both sides as far as rebounding is concerned. He generated generates great box-out position and cleans the glass. Quick second jump lets him clean up any mistakes and get easy putbacks. He gets out in transition. He runs the floor hard. He gets back on defense. Motor's tremendous. Plays the ball well on defense. He times blocks around the basket. Gets his mitts in passing lanes. Great hands all around as far as catching passes and getting any deflections. Got Has the footwork. Has the power. He possesses some of the highest upside in this entire class. I, I know I said a lot. I probably stole somebody's thunder a little bit with my notes, but I was too excited to not read off my entire sheet for, for Mr. Jairus Walker. Maxwell, mm-hmm. talk to me about how much you love Jairus Walker. Cause I know. You yeah. Do. So I was, I was slower to see it with Jairus Walker, which sounds embarrassing, but uh, I really liked him at the McDonald's game, but I was super concerned about a shot. Cause I just saw him like pregame warm up shooting and it, did not look good and i was just kind of like oh he'll just be at houston for a couple years and like going back to the high school film i i don't think he's gonna be at houston for a couple years (laughs) um i think something else that i really like is that so the big concern with him is the shot right like Mm -hmm. the outside shot he's just not super willing as a shooter but his percentages aren't bad and guys give him a ton of space they definitely let him shoot and dare him to shoot um but like his his touch isn't bad and Obviously, like, there's a long load time. There's a weird lean back and things like that. But I do think he can get there and everything else is there for him. Um, and I think the other thing that has me really optimistic is that Houston in the last couple of years has done a pretty good job of taking guys that aren't shooters and turning them into shooters. Uh, Kelvin Sampson took Fabian White, uh, who was a guy who like my God. did not take a three at all, like barely took threes, had taken eight threes in his college career prior to his senior season, took three and a half a game and made 71% of them this past season. Um, so it's definitely something that we've seen out of him. And same with uh, just, it, it's something that, that we've seen from this program pretty consistently. Even like a guy like Marcus Sasser is taking more different types of threes. He's hitting them at a higher clip. We know that that Calvin Sampson and his staff can get guys better in that area. Um, what actually won me over with Jairus Walker when I was like, oh, I'm starting to turn the corner with this guy. It was a coming up to halftime in a game. He gets a rebound and he's at the free throw line on the, the opposite side of the court. And he took a heave. He took a shot. He didn't do the, you know, what? I'm going to wait for the clock to expire. So this doesn't hurt my percentage in case mm. this doesn't go in. And he took the heave and it went in. And I was like, awesome. He was willing to take the heave. He didn't care if it hurt his stats. And that to me is the biggest thing with Jairus Walker with his passing, his defense really multi-positional. He's going to guard like genuinely has a shot. People are like, Oh, he's going to guard five positions. Genuinely has a shot to like be comfortable and okay. Guarding all five positions, given his footwork, his acumen, his mind, the way he reads the game. Coaches are just going to love this guy. And I don't see a world where he enters the pre-draft process and guys are talking to him about basketball watching how hard he plays and practice and things like that. And they don't just fall in love with them. Um, I think he's one and done. And I think he given, like we talked about these kind of guys with size, skill and ball skills, they don't fail. I think that's really true for him. And I, I love him as a defender. He's in my top 10 right now. Um, but I do think he has a chance to climb. If he shoots like close to a respectable percentage from three, I'm going to have a hard time keeping him out of my top five. 
Steven, I'm going to go one step further than Maxwell. I'm going to say that if if I were to make a board today, if I was forced to do one today, this guy would, Uh-oh. without a doubt, be inside my top six. And I say that about uh, as clean. There there are not six other guys that I want in this draft more than Jairus Walker. Where, where are you at on the forward? Yeah, and I know that my no ceilings are going to hate me because of the disrespect that I'm about to say here. I think I have him at like eighth right now so like obviously like i can't stand him um <laughs> no but in, in all seriousness you you like, scared me with where i thought that statement was going i thought we were about to actually have it out on the first mm-hmm. podcast episode well i mean like again i have a mate i think that some of the guys in no ceilings are even going to be mad at me that i have them quote unquote that low um but what i like about him man he's just so strong he's an incredible athlete his interior defense is so good like so good it's going to help him a lot in terms of scalability into the NBA and different lineup constructions that a team can use him in his rebounding, his court vision, some of the improvement areas, obviously we touched on the shot. I'm curious to see, I'm not saying that it's going to be bad. This is like one of these areas that I'm looking at to see how it translate. I want to see what the handle looks like at the next level, because in, in, in high school, EYBL and different functions, he can use it, right? I want to know if it's a legit weapon of his or if it's just like kind of a nice positional skill that he has. You you understand what I'm trying to oh, say? I, like, I, no, I, I do. I think it's legit, though. I, I, I think okay. it's absolutely legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to see how he passes a little bit more out of pressure as the size sc- starts to scale up around him, right? Like he's not going to be, you know, comparatively this bigger, like this much bigger to his competition, right? So those are just two areas that I'm just like kind of quietly monitoring. But if I look at some of these other notes that I took away from him, on a few games, I want to see him, uh, you know, not be so reckless um, on his drives because I think that some teams are going to be able to pick up on that and either wall him off or get him in foul trouble offensively. And then talking about foul trouble, he he has a propensity to, to get into foul trouble pretty easily on the defensive end. And again, it's high school level basketball. I know that Coach Sampson is going to do a great job of putting him in positions to succeed. It's just that those are some areas that I want to monitor. And if those are clean, like this guy can rise up my board pretty easily. It's just that I have more concerns in some of those areas than some of the guys that I have ranked above him. But I'm very much in on him as a top eight level player coming into the season. And there are concerns to have, but I think that you would agree with when I say that at that point, Stephen, you might be nitpicking a little bit, which I think is if that's the range where we got to start picking the nits, Nathan. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. <laughs> but but if we're at a point where we're really only like nitpicking with a guy during the preseason, and we're not like some of these other prospects we've talked about, we we pointed out some legitimate, yeah. possibly major flaws with their games. We don't have those things to say about Jairus Walker. The fact that we're only nitpicking in in a, in a session like this, I think that's an incredibly positive thing to take away uh, yeah. about Jairus Walker. So I that's why I'm really high on him. Sounds like we're all in agreement. We have him in a very similar range, um, as well as our no ceilings, brethren. You're you're right, Stephen. Some of us are even higher than than yeah. what we're saying. I hate him. I can't stand him. He's he's terrible. <laughs> so. When it comes to the forward position, we talked about Dylan Mitchell. All three of us aren't exactly as high on him. We just gave our love for Jairus Walker. The other guy to me that really comes in that conversation is the reclassified 23 talent coming in now for 2022, Mr. Gregory Gigi Jackson, going to South Carolina, six foot nine, 215 pounds, number six for 24 7 sports, number seven for on three, 
um, in terms of their final updated 2022 rankings. MVP of the 2022 MVPA Top 100 camp. He was part of that 22-team USA FIBA American uh, Gold Medal Championship team. He averaged 22.1 points per game, 10.9 rebounds, 2.3 blocks for Ridgeview High School in South Carolina. And he was the 2022 Gatorade Boys Basketball Player of the Year in South Carolina. Stephen, my first sentence for Gigi Jackson was raw, but scary upside mm. as a mismatch forward. Like this dude, you pop on the tape. There will be some plays where you go, why did he do that? But then there will be plenty of other plays where you'll go, oh my God, th this guy is making face-up jumpers. This guy is an absolute terror in transition. This guy's getting it done on the block and on the glass and blocking shots when he's actively engaged in the interior. And I've never used this name for a prospect comparison ever. And I'm not coming on this podcast and saying that like, this I'm is so anxious. my- <laughs> this is not this is my nailed down comp for this draft cycle because he would still have to do quite a bit to live up to this name as a comp. But man, th there's some real shades of uh, Chris Weber here for 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 Mr. GG Jackson. And that, like, like I said, I have never used that name for a prospect because that dude was a special, special prospect coming into the NBA. And he lived up to a lot of that in the NBA. I think really. To me, the only thing that's blatantly not there when you compare those two guys is the passing ability. I think everything else, this guy's starting to check a lot of boxes for me. Whether the production matches the potential and matches the kind of upside to like a Chris Weber comp, but Steven, I, I, I do like a lot of what I see on tape with Greg Jackson. I think I'm just more sold on what Jarris Walker is right now, and that's why I would rank him ahead of Greg. But it's it, it's they're they're not far off between mm -hmm. each other. Like I I think both of them are like legitimate top ten guys. And there is a world where Gigi Jackson just absolutely dominates for South Carolina, dominates the SEC. Maybe his team doesn't go very far because it's not going to be good around him. But he right. himself puts up the case to where man, this guy did this on this team without a doubt. Like this guy's got to be a top ten pick. Uh, where where are you at on on Gigi Jackson? Well, th there's a lot in there, Nathan. I'm going to try not to bite on the Chris Weber thing. I'm not saying that you're doing this, but just if we're if we're bringing up Chris Weber, I think that he's criminally underrated in a lot of NBA circles. That's even why I said I've where... never used his name before for for a prospect, and I'm not I'm not. He's like... a top 75 player of all time. I don't care. Go look. Go look it up. Like I'm not for, hammering I'm a... it down. Like that's going to be my shades of in the draft guide when we get later on the year. But that's just like those are the vibes I hold get. Hold true man. to your convic. Hold true to your convictions, Nathan, because there are some similarities. There are some similarities. Um, some things that I like about Gigi, right? Like obviously he's very strong. I think that he's going to hold up well on the post. Um, at the collegiate level, I think that he's got the right build. Um, you know he has some touch around the basket and in that mid range. I'm curious to know how how far out that shot goes, if it's ever going to translate to outsider, if he's just going to be a nice, reliable mid-range threat. Oh, uh, oh, come on, Steven. You didn't watch enough film, buddy. This man's drilling step-back dribble jumpers from like the corners and, and at the top of the arc. Come on, man. I, I, okay, all right. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go past <laughs> that. Some He has got some passing abilities, which is where I, I think that you're kind of going with the, the C-Web threat or comparison there. Uh, he's a lob threat. Some some improvement areas. 
I'd like to see him handle the ball a little bit better against like more in your face defense, right? Like his second dribble is kind of scary to me. Um, I'm I'm curious to know what his decision making looks like with a uh, with increased uh, talent around him. I I like his switchability. He had like a lot of his physical tools and the way that he evaluates the game on defense. I think that he can be a switchable defender. And I'm curious to know, and a lot of NBA teams are going to be curious to know, like, is this good dude good enough defensively to be a five at the next level? Because I don't know if a lot of teams are going to look at him as as a starting level four, but if this guy can come in and give you some strong minutes at the five, I think that that increases his value. Overall, I have him 12th right now, so I definitely understand where you're coming into the season with, like, top 10 vibes, like me more so on the back end of that top 10. He, he has the type of talent to certainly be that that legitimate guy on the defensive side of the ball, but that is one of my other concerns, Maxwell. I, I said about the passing, but also the, the defense, he falls asleep more often than I'd like, uh, away yeah. from the ball or, or outside of the paint. So I'll be monitoring, to, moder- monitoring him excuse me, heavily on the defensive end at South Carolina. The, is he more engaged? away from the basket can he add value there that that's one of the things that we'll be watching but outside of what we've talked about maxwell where, where are you at on, on on mr gg jackson yeah i'm actually kind of in a similar place to steven i uh okay so this actually, is my guy where i'm a little too yeah high for you guys, but that's fine for me I, fine. i'm in a similar place with the shooting too like i i really like him elbow in it's like a face-up mm-hmm. guy and i just I'm not fully there on like the outside shot yet. Like there's flashes of it. And I think it's something that gets there eventually. He actually kind of reminds me of like, it just as a prospect. And I know people are going to hear this because a lot of fans are very upset with him right now. And I understand that. Oh it's no. Like, Ju- bouncy Julius Randall. Oh no, he did in terms of just like having a face up game, being able to like operate around the elbow and go from there. Um, I think my other big concern with him is I worry about him on the glass. Like there were times where it just seemed like, and maybe that's a frame thing. Maybe it's the fact that he still got to get a little bit bigger, but I thought there were some times where like he was just pretty weak around the basket and a little weak as a rebounder. I want to see that change. And it's going to have to, he's going to be playing in the SEC. He's going to be playing against big athletic dudes. Um, but I do really like a lot of the tools. He's so long. He gets off the floor so easy. Like he yep. just floats right off the ground. Um, his help instincts is a shot blocker, I think are good. And like, that's the kind of stuff where like talk about him playing the five. Eventually, if he does get a little bigger, gets a little stronger on the interior, like those, that's going to be a great skill for him. He moves really well. I think he should be able to switch. Um, and then with the handle too, like if that outside shot gets there, he's got some nice hesitation stuff. Like yep. Nathan, you mentioned the step backs, like there's some sophistication to his game off the dribble. So like, it is all really interesting. I'm just a little bit lower on the overall scoring and the rebounding and some of the interior stuff for now. That's um, fine. But he's he's going to be really young, and he's going to be on yep. a team where he's tasked with a lot. So I think if he doesn't have the most productive season, it's not a reason to, to kill him or jump ship or anything like that. Um, but Take I'm, my yeah, irrational I'm really positivity with a grain of salt. I 100% agree with you guys. I th- yeah, I think it's I think it's fair. Like I think it's it, he's definitely worth getting excited about because there is a chance if like like I said, yeah. if just the outside shot gets there and he's going to get stronger. So like that stuff doesn't really worry me all that much. Like that there is a top five outcome easily within his grasp. And he's gonna have to, like on the South Carolina team, Nathan, you know, being the the kind of the big fish, you know, some of these SEC teams are gonna put some pressure on him in the paint and want to see what he looks like when he's kind of having to force the ball out to an open guy too. So 
something else to, to take into consideration when evaluating him moving forward. Our last quote unquote segment on this podcast episode, I want to open up the discussion for which one of these big men prospects do you actually like better? <laughs> we're we're going to talk about two centers here. So Derek Lively going to Duke, seven foot one, 215 pounds. And Kello Ware going to Oregon, seven foot, 210 pounds. Both have similar skill sets. I think there's areas where they definitely differ, but I'm more curious to see, but before I would give any sort of thoughts on the subject matter, I want to know where you guys are actually at between the two. Because I, I think it's going to be a very fascinating debate to monitor over the course of the draft cycle. Maybe, maybe not the sexiest debate to have. It's not involving any one of the wings or one of the guards where obviously, you know, given where the league is at in terms of being able to generate your own offense, everyone wants to win in those debates because those are the players everybody wants to have near the top of the draft boards. But bigs are important guys to have in an NBA lineup as well. We see time and time again, you need size somewhere and you can definitely get that with one of these two bigs. So Maxwell, I'll kick it to you first between Derek Lively and Kello Ware. At this moment in time, who are you higher on right now? I am firmly higher on Derek Lively. Thank and you. And I am the okay. guy who wrote about Kello Ware when we talked about incoming players we were excited about. And this is going to sound harsh. Um, <laughs> I was a lot more excited about Kello Ware when he was the guy projected to go in the 20s. Um, okay. Then some of the people talking about him being like top seven. I've seen him. Um I, so first off, I think there's going to be a really firm floor on Derek Lively. There just aren't a lot of guys that have those type of physical tools. He's like seven foot two. He's got crazy long arms. He has a ridiculous lob radius. He another guy who just floats every time he jumps. Um, he's he's so light on his feet. Yep. He moves unbelievably well for a player his size, and he's hit outside shots fairly consistently. Um, so it's you're looking at a big guy who's going to be great at protecting the rim is not going to get killed when he gets switched on to smaller players and is going to be able to space the floor. Um, and he's a great lob finisher. So he's very complete for now. Um, I wish he had more of that dog in him. Mm -hmm. uh, there are games, especially watch the high school tape where it's him playing against like other just Pennsylvania high schools. And it's like, dude, the guy <laughs> guarding you is like six, five, just please dunk on him. And he doesn't always do that. Uh, I wish you, you want to see more than just averaging 14 points per game at, at, against the competition. Uh, 100 You want to see that. Yeah. I agree. And I, I think, but I think that there's no way a guy with these type of physical tools and his jump shot falls outside of the lottery. I think with Kalel where the shooting is a lot more theoretical than people are making it out to be. This mm -hmm. is a guy who's hit like a couple threes and everyone's like floor spacing, big man, like this <laughs> and that. And it's like, I am way more sold on Derek Lively as a floor spacer than, than Kalel where at this stage. Glowware also like has somehow escaped that this guy is too skinny talk that seems to plague like only Victor in this class. Like Glowware is real thin. Yep. yep. He's real, real thin. And in a lot of like the all-star games you watch, his motor ran really high. I need him to play that way at Oregon all the time. You watch some of the high school tape and this is a guy who can get off the floor really easily. And then I watched some of his games in high school and I'm like, wait, does he? Because there are plays where he gets way too block happy and will like, jump out of position you get a block and that's something that a lot of young big men do it's not a reason to be out on him but there will also be places where a guy will come into the lane and he'll just be like i'm just not gonna go for that one and guys like get up a floater and it's like that was dude, that was within your radius dude like you could have gotten that one and he doesn't go for it um he doesn't have the strength to punish mismatches inside which like lively does he just doesn't always do it um 
but his length is going to cause you a lot of problems. He's, he's really good at, uh, at finishing around the basket when he gets a lob. Uh, he's Chloe is a really good mover. His stroke is clean. I do think the jumper gets there eventually in time. He can already shoot at the mid range really well. I, I just don't like his ball skills as much as lively. I think he's a lesser athlete as a whole than lively. Oh, he's weaker he's, than Derek I think lively. he's like multiple notches down. Yeah. Than, than lively on the athletic. Like I think, I think there's a chance that like, if it doesn't go that well for him and like, maybe he's not even a one and done. Like, I think that's really on the table for him. Where with lively. I don't see a world where he's not a lottery pick. So um, I, I think that they are very far apart. Steven, where, where are you at on, on the lively versus where debate before I read some words that I wrote down in my notes? Yeah. So I'm team lively as well. Like pretty handedly, like if I'm looking at my board right now, I have lively what ninth and then I have where 19th, right? So uh, a pretty sizable gap here. And I'll just read some of the notes that I have for lively first. What I like, athleticism, his rebounding, he's not afraid of contact, and he's just such a fluid runner for his size, too. Like something that you want out of your five in the NBA. Uh, some improvement areas, shot consistency, the the casualness that he can display on the defensive end sometimes, especially stepping out, um, which isn't exclusive to him because Khalil Ware kind of has the same thing. So if you're wanting to knock lively for something, you essentially have to do the same thing for, for Khalil Ware. His his uh his buy-in on uh, committing to screen sometimes leaves a lot to be desired, but I think that that's something at Duke that he's going to get coached into him really really yep. quickly. Um, Especially if they go to that god awful double drag set every single time down the floor like they did with Williams oh, and Ben Carroll. I mean, with court. him and Philipowski, they're going to. <laughs> with him and Philipowski, you can you can bet that they're and and Roach like <laughs> they're going to go to that set. Um, the shot looks fine despite the numbers. I'm curious to know if he can pass out of uh, double teams, which I don't know if teams are going to do that with him and Filipowski on the floor at the same time, and obviously with Whitehead sharing the court with them as well. Um, and so going back to Kolo, where uh, I like his touch around the rim. I like his uh, coordination. He's a willing, in, uh, willing interior scorer, which I think is becoming slowly a lost desire for um, young big men. Uh but improvement, his motor, shot consistency, bites on pumps too easily. Uh, his second jump isn't nowhere near where uh, Lively's is right now. Mm -hmm. uh, his shot load time for a shooting big man is is not great um, comparatively to Lively. Will he step out on switches? And does his size and skill translate to some larger opponents that we're going to see at the next level? I mean, being that big in, in Arkansas basketball, is is a huge advantage, right? But like, if you're going into ACC basketball and then eventually to the NBA, are you going to be able to to translate as a big man? And Oregon doesn't really. I mean, they had Nate Biddy last year, right? Who committed? Who was a top fifty? I want to say easily top one hundred, but I think he was within the top fifty in his draft class, and not much done out of him. And now they they have another guy on Kolo Ware coming in. I don't know if Folly Dante's still hanging around at, at Oregon somehow. Like <laughs> right. So like the 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 track record for Oregon, you know, like how I was giving a lot of these guys credit for where they committed to Kolo Ware, I mean, come on, buddy. Like you you have to kind of read the room a little bit. I don't I don't believe in his stock right now and where he's going. I don't feel any more comfortable at all in how he's going to develop to the next level where he went, where he decided he wanted to go to school. Where has the measurables, where has some of the, the shooting promise where I, I think is the better shot blocker between the two right now, but 
Derek Lively, man. I, 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 I could read off more of my notes than I will. You will definitely see some of these words published somewhere before the season. That's a little hint, hint to what we have coming in those ceilings. But I'm going to read this to you guys because I think, I think this is important. I wrote down two of my paragraphs. Has the feet, mobility, coordination to keep up with anyone in the basketball court could possess the same versatility, and I'm talking mainly defensively, that makes Evan Mobley a special defender in the NBA. Mm. Does he have the same motor and awareness to remain effective and locked in on a possession-to-possession basis? That's the big question. But every time I watch Lively, his game is effortless. Everything looks incredibly easy to him. He's not the same ball handler, passer, or even shooter right now that Mobley is. But every other skill and physical trait, Lively may have him beat. How far Lively goes will be up to him. I think if those two paragraphs didn't allude to the fact that I'm as sold or even more so sold on Lively than you two for the audience out there, I don't know what else could have possibly done it for you. Those words mean a lot to me. And I wouldn't say those if I didn't actually mean them. There are so many things that remind me of Mobley when I watch Derek Lively, just how he glides up and down the court, how he seems to have this infinite catch radius, no matter where you put the ball in a lob, because of how high up he can sky, because of his length, the seven one side, he's going to go up, get it, and he's going to slam it down, he's going to finish it. Arguably one of the best lob finishers I've seen in quite a while. Like there, there, there's a lot of DeAndre Jordan Skywalker stuff to mm. Derek Lively. Like that, that's where I go with somebody like him who just plays the game, moves, jumps so effortlessly at his size. I think he's a special, special prospect from a physical standpoint. Whether enough of the other stuff comes together for him to be a top five pick in the NBA draft, that remains to be seen. But for me, that's his ceiling. I don't have the same feeling when I watch Kelo Aware. I see it. I get some of the raw potential. I think he might be a year away. I think Ware might be a guy who comes back possibly for a sophomore season unless he really does dominate this year. I just think, you know, when we when we talk about he he has a very similar catch radius as Derek Lively, but when it comes to some of the other parts of the game, I don't know if more of the offense is going to come around, and I don't trust him defending in space nearly as much as I would trust somebody like Lively. I think Kella Ware is more exclusively a drop coverage big. We've seen in the NBA, if you're going to be drafted high at the center spot, probably should be you know, able to play sort of both sides of the fence, right? Should be able yep. to play drop cover and should be also to come up and not be complete barbecue chicken on the switch front. I think Lively checks both of those boxes, press some of the offensive promise that we've laid out. That's my guy in terms of the big man in this incoming freshman class. He, I, I believe he would be my second highest big man in this draft class overall behind Vic. So that's... That's where I am on Mr. Lively. I think very highly of him, and I think it's going to be interesting to compare and contrast the games of both of those as we keep going on in this 2023 NBA draft cycle. But that that's it for this episode of the podcast, guys. We we covered a lot of ground in yeah. a good amount of time. I, I'm mm-hmm. very proud of us that we stayed the course and we stayed <laughs> on the path for the guys that we were going to talk about tonight. So thank you both for joining me on the first of many, many episodes together on our brand new episode spot. So Maxwell, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you as well as this is a segment we can do at the end of each podcast yeah. episode. What are we working on each week? For yeah. Ceilings? What, what's coming up next for you, bud? Yeah. So by the time this is out, I think my piece should be up. 
uh, at noceilingsnba.com. Going to have another no stone unturned. We've got five more wings, including one that I are, I do have a draftable grade on. A lot of these guys, it's it's deeper cuts. There's somebody in this one who is top 60 coming into the season for me uh, that played along another really good prospect last season and just did not, for whatever reason, grab people's attention, but he's awesome. Uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, no sudden turn on the wings. I've already got the guard piece cooking. A lot of the film work is done for it. Sent Beautiful. out the interview requests on that one. Going to talk to a player for it on Thursday. So we've already got the ball rolling on the next one too. So that's what we've got cooking over here. Awesome. Where can everybody find you on the social media? Yeah, I am at Boundboards on Twitter. So B-A-U-M and then the word boards. And then, uh, yeah, follow at No Ceilings NBA as well if you're not already. That's that's a goofy decision if you're not following us on Twitter there already. Steven, where can everybody find you? What are you cooking up? Well, yeah, so um, find me um, with the rest of the big three here on Draft Deeper. If you're not subscribing on Spotify or iTunes or wherever else you're getting your podcast, you know, fix yourself and go do that. Uh, follow Draft Deeper on uh, social media too, at Draft Deeper. Uh, you can find me at No Ceilings NBA on Twitter and NoCeilingsNBA.com over at our Substack website. I've dropped, I think, three articles in my return. Two of them are kind of like, philosophical things like what I'm kind of looking forward to differently this season than I have in prior, like looking at seeing what player types succeed most in the NBA and like how much we need sometimes need to cool it with the amount of freshmen that we think are going to get drafted in the first round each season. And it made me feel kind of vindicated that I talked about that too, because like that same week, I think Sam Bassini like touched on it on his, you know, like way too early big board or mock draft, whichever piece it was, Sam, love you. Sorry if I can't remember which one it was. Um, but you know, working on this, uh, by the time this is up, I think you might have, or should be listening to me on the draft deck podcast, talking about Nick Smith jr. Again. So woo pig again for the second <laughs> time, go follow our no scenes brethren over there. And I'm working on a kind of top secret, uh, player evaluation that should be released sometime the following week. Uh, date and everything is being worked out with the rest of our no ceiling staff. And we got a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of stuff coming up for the no ceilings family in the near future. So tell your friends, tell your family, make them subscribe. They won't regret it. It's free 99 over at the website and on the podcast front as well. It doesn't always have to be top secret anymore, Steven, at least for a while. You you don't have to worry about somebody pulling out of the draft the next time you reveal a name. (laughs) That you're right about i'll learn my lesson so. it's not gonna happen again <laughs> just not trying to jinx himself that's funny but yeah make sure you're following steven on twitter as well at steven g hoops as he said make sure you're following me on twitter at draft deeper make sure you're following the no ceilings collective at no ceilings nba and make sure you subscribe to the draft deeper podcast wherever you get your podcast steven said apple podcast spotify youtube make sure you're following us on all fronts trust me we will be going through plenty more names on this podcast feed before the college season starts. I think we have over 80 prospects we're going to be talking about in these preview episodes. I can't wait to go through more of them. We knocked out 11 on this episode, but stick with us for the ride. We're all going to keep pumping out content. We'll let you know about it as we publish it on those ceilings on this podcast feed. And until we meet again, thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Stay tuned. Much love. Mm -hmm.